Hello, and welcome to Victory Briefings, where we use the Word of God for a victorious life. I'm Dwight Hammond, and I'm glad you're listening today. Be blessed by the Holy Spirit as He gives you new revelation knowledge through the Word of God. Well, thank you, Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. We'll be studying our example prayer for enlightenment. It is interesting that verses 3 through 14, Paul's list of spiritual blessings in Christ, is one very long sentence in the Greek. And I thought you might be interested in knowing that Paul's prayer, the second half of the chapter, it's one sentence as well in the Greek. There are two prayers in Ephesians. The first prayer is for enlightenment here in verses 15 through 23, and the one in chapter 3 is for enhancement. Paul prays first that we may know what Christ has done for us. In chapter 3, he prays that we may live up to these wonderful blessings and put them to work in our daily lives. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23, in the New King James Version, says, Therefore I also, after heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's what Paul prays. It starts in verse 17, actually, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be Head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Paul says in verse 15, Therefore I also, after heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. The word therefore always look to see what therefore is there for. It's connecting us to the previous text um, as a reason to pray. The believers have acquired every spiritual blessing, including election, predestination, adoption, grace, redemption, forgiveness, wisdom, understanding, knowledge of the mystery of his will, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and inheritance. Paul now prayed that his readers might know God personally and intimately. That's that whole list of Paul's is the reason that Paul's praying for these people. Faith and love for all the saints 
This outgoing love is the evidence of genuine faith. We know that faith works through love. According to Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, faith and love for all the saints, there's two more pertinent reasons to pray. This letter of Paul's is to all saints, including you and me. Where Paul begins to pray is where we oftentimes ceased to pray. We pray for somebody to walk in faith, and they do. We quit praying for them and move on to a new prospect. When one begins to walk in faith is when spiritual effectiveness causes the enemy to to attack. That's when we should be active intercessors, not uh, when they're not doing anything. Praying that a person continues to be enlightened with the wisdom and knowledge of God. Being watchful with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints is what it says in Ephesians 6.18. It says, making mention, meneia is the Greek word. In the Vines Dictionary of Greek Words, it means mention, remember, remembrance, and remind or reminded. This is one place where we get, remember me and your prayers. People will say that. The NIV and others rightfully used remember here. The problem is that folks today don't know how to remember. It's just another cliche tossed around among adolescent Christians. Most of these good intentions are forgotten at the next drive through or text message. When someone asks me if to remember them in prayer, I'll say, well, let me do it right now so I don't forget. And it usually catches them off guard when they quickly begin to hear God's word spoken in faith over them. Paul begins praying that God may give you spiritual understanding in verses 17 and 18. Verse 17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And verse 18 starts, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So Paul is praying that we have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Well, spirit here is with a small s, or it should be, because it's the word pneuma. The Greek word pneuma is used in different ways in Scripture. primarily denotes wind, to breathe, or to blow. Like the wind is invisible, this is the invisible, immaterial, powerful part of man. God wants our spirits to be full of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Wisdom and revelation are products of the knowledge of God's word. Now, the word spirit can also be described as a mental disposition. We would probably say attitude, as in a team spirit. That's the way Paul is using spirit here. And also in Ephesians 4.23, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's an attitude, a yearning to know. We have to have an attitude toward God, a good attitude towards him, and pay attention to what his word says. In uh, verse 18, he says that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. The eyes of your understanding. Now, this is a reference to your soul or mind. True illumination or revelation takes place in the mind, not the spirit. Verse 17 tells us that we are to have a spirit full of wisdom and revelation. However, in verse 18, we are told that the eyes of our hearts have to be enlightened. Revelation occurs when the wisdom of God, 
which resides in our spirit, explodes across the conscious mind. Illumination occurs when the mind and the spirit agree. We knew all the time in our spirit, and it finally dawns on our minds. Usually, when this occurs, we say, I see it. We do not mean we see it with our eyeballs, but we see it with the eyes of our spirit. The Greek word for understanding here is uh, dianoia. Dianoia is deep thought, contemplation, the mind or its disposition. The definition includes purposeful mental activity. Spiritual truths must be spiritually discerned. According to 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 16, and this understanding can come only from the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote the Word, therefore He is the best teacher of what it says. Paul continues to pray that you might know the hope of God's calling. This is the middle part of verse 18, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. Right now we have a dual citizenship, natural and spiritual. Spiritually, we are before the Father, holy and without blame. But naturally, we are on the earth and stuck in Satan's domain. But there is coming a day when we will get new bodies just like Jesus has. We will have resurrection bodies with no earthly limitations, according to 1 Corinthians 15.53. And this is called a hope, since it's in the future. It's our blessed hope. The blessed hope is talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4 and Titus chapter 2. The world has nothing to look forward to, but we can lift up our heads because our redemption draws near. Luke twenty-one twenty-eight. Because God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, we have a blessed hope for all eternity that depends not on our goodness, but on His grace. Look again at verses 4 through 6 where this calling is summarized. The Christian who does not know his high calling, Philippians 3.14, or his holy calling, 2 Timothy 1.9, or his heavenly calling, Hebrews 3.1, will never be able to walk worthy of that calling. Ephesians 4.1, where it says calling, is equal to vocation. Paul goes on praying that you might know the riches of God's inheritance. This is the last part of verse 18. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Our needs in this life are supplied according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 We have learned that his riches are inexhaustible, and we can never bankrupt the account that he has set up for us. Ephesians 1.7 We have often thought of his riches in glory as meaning riches in heaven. But when God supplies our needs here on earth, he does it through a human channel. Verse 18 confirms this because it says the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. He told us when we give into his kingdom, he gives back to us through men, Luke 6:38. God has invested his riches in the saints to supply the needs of the body of Christ to fulfill its mission on the earth. God has not only made us an inheritance in Christ, but he has made us an inheritance for Christ. You see, the church is his body, temple, and bride. We do share his glory. Amen. Paul requests 
in his prayer that you might know God's power. Verses 19 and 20 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places? The very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available for our daily lives. Jesus has already won the victory over sin, death, the world, and Satan. God's people do not fight for victory, but from victory. We are seated with him in the heavenlies, according to Ephesians 2.6. We take our seat of authority with him. Of course, all these blessings are only for those who meet the conditions set forth in verses 1 and 2, which Paul began this letter. you got to remember that he's writing to living saints, not dead ones, people who have put their faith in Christ Jesus. These saints, set-apart ones, have experienced God's grace and now enjoy God's peace. Nowhere does the Bible teach that the church makes people saints. Only God can make a sinner a saint. And a sinner must become a saint while he's still alive, because after death is judgment. Hebrews 9.27 This verse 19 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his mighty power? Well, this is the King James Version power factor. Um, (laughs) There are five Greek words translated power in the New Testament. Dunamis is power, or dynamo, or dynamite, and energia is energy, or effectual working, and ischus is endowed power, mighty, or strength, Kratos is dominion, strength, ruling power. And exousia is authority, privilege, permission, and the right to do something. Ephesians 1.19, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? It's awesome that four out of these five Greek words for power is in this one verse. The first four words are used here in this verse. So we could call this the most powerful verse in the New Testament, I suppose. Here is verse 19 again with the Greek. And what is the exceeding greatness of his dunamis, power, to usward who believe according to the energia, working, of his ischus, mighty, kratos, power. (laughs) Confusing, but there you have it. Psalm 8, verse 3, tells us God created the universe using his fingers. Hebrews 1.10 says that he used his hands to create the earth and heavens, the atmosphere around the earth. Isaiah 53.1, the redemption chapter, begins with, And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? There are other scriptures about God's stretched out arm of deliverance and redemption, but in verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. I've heard it taught that it took more power to fashion the earth than it did for the universe. And and according to these scriptures, redemption and deliverance from sin took more of God's power than anything else. With his arm, he raised Jesus from the dead. 
I've heard it said that the reason God used so much power to raise Christ from the dead was that every demon and power and everything was against him. The devil was really fighting against him. It's interesting that exousia is not used in here in Ephesians 1.19. The devil is no match for God. I believe Paul is praying for us to fully realize in our hearts and minds the power of all the spiritual blessings that are sealed in us with the Holy Spirit. Now, the fifth power factor comes in the next verse. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, that not only in this age but also that which is to come. Verse 21 has the fifth Greek word translated power, that is exousia. It is unfortunate that the King James translators used power rather than authority for exousia in some of these places. Through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, we have been given authority over the devil. God has not given us power but authority. Adam had authority on the earth, but he gave it to Satan in the garden. From Adam to the cross, Satan had authority on the earth. When Jesus was resurrected, he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, And in Luke ten seventeen through 24, when the 70 returned to him with happy results, after being sent out to minister, they were delighted because even the demons were subject to the name of Jesus. He said to them, I was watching when Satan was cast out of heaven, and it was like a bolt of lightning. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But don't rejoice in the fact that spirits are subject to you. Instead, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The reason Satan flees from the believer's authority is he doesn't want to see that lightning bolt again. He doesn't want to experience the power again. Now, Jesus is not rebuking these disciples. Usually when you hear this thing taught, that stops right there where Jesus says, don't rejoice in the fact that the spirits are subject to you, but instead rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And then the sermon stops. Well, they had a successful mission. At that moment, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Ghost and praised God for the whole situation. Then he told those disciples in private, Blessed are the eyes that see the things you see. Prophets and kings have wished to see and hear the things that you have seen and heard. This is what Paul was talking about. This is what Paul was praying for us to have here in Ephesians, that our eyes would be open to see. Hallelujah. Now we don't gloat in our authority. We simply use the name of Jesus and rejoice in victory. I often wonder about those who deny the power of the Holy Spirit and their Christ-given authority in the earth. Are their names written in heaven? Anyway, we have been given the right to use that name, the name that is above all names, the name that is above the name of any sickness, disease, problem. It's above the name of any world leader. It's above the name of any mountain in our lives. Believers have the authority to use that name to cast out devils, speak with new tongues, take up serpents, drink any deadly thing and it won't hurt you, and lay hands on the sick and see them recover. According to Mark 16, 
verses 17 and 18. Verses 22 and 23 finish up this chapter. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If Jesus is far above Satan's kingdom and Satan is under his feet, then something must be in between. That something is you and me, the church, his body. Jesus conquered Satan through his death and resurrection and then gave us rightful authority to use his name and watch the devil run from us. Thank God for the name of Jesus. We have been left on the earth to stand in the place of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.20, and to see people come to know the Lord Jesus as Savior, Healer, and Provider. We learn to use our authority and to see ourselves set free along with the lives of our friends and loved ones. Jesus has become head over all things. The church is described as the Lord's body, as Christ's body in Colossians 1.18. It is not only in symbol, but in fact. Paul uses the same language later in this letter. Ephesians 4, verse 4, 12, and 16, and 5, verses 30. The church is not an institution, but a living being. It exists and functions only by reason of its vital relationship with the risen Lord, who is its head. The church is filled by Christ, not only with his own life and presence, but also with his gifts and blessings. As the church manifests Jesus to the world, it can do so only as he fills it with himself and with all the grace gifts he bestows. Ephesians 4, verse 7 and 11 And you can compare that scripture with 1 Corinthians 12 in the first 11 verses. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to support organizations that fight for First Amendment, religious freedom, and freedom of speech, Second Amendment, right to bear arms, and sanctity of life. Patriot Mobile is a U.S.-based company. Tell them I referred you, and they will waive your setup fee for each of your phone lines. Just let them know that Dwight Hammond referred you and save money right away. The Victory Briefings podcast is brought to you in part by Patriot Mobile. PatriotMobile.com, 972-PATRIOT. 972-PATRIOT, PatriotMobile.com. I hope you are subscribed and will make it a part of your ministry to share this message with others. God bless you, my friend. This program and other materials are available at VictoryBriefings.net. Mm-hmm.